Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's the Fightful MMA Holy Smokes podcast with Showdown Joe and Sean Ross Sapp. What's up, everybody? May 16th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast with yours truly, Joe Ferraro. You can follow me online anytime via social media at Showdown Joe, and you can you can follow my co-host with the glorious hair today. You get to see him the whole 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes. The infamous Sean Rossap. Sean, what's going on, brother? The people asked for more hair. I gave them more hair. I'm growing this? this out. I'm growing it out. Under what pretense? What are, you, what are you trying to be? Just your own dude? I, maybe I just want to do something special. Maybe I'm trying to do something nice. And which you all might find out about uh, probably early 2018. Are you giving us a hint at something? Maybe. Can you tell us? I'll just say this. <laughs> Elias Theodoro ain't got shit on me. Oh, are you going after Per Plus? Oh, no. That's his. I'm not gonna listen. I like Elias. Elias is a good dude. I may grow out my hair and have more beautiful hair than him, but I'm not gonna take a stream of revenue from him because I know that Pert's gonna be dialing my number. Pert, it's the same number I've had since 2006. You know where to get a hold of me. <laughs> oh my God! Listen, so much to discuss uh, in the world of mixed martial arts. I don't even know where to begin because UFC 211. We discussed it in the post show podcast. That was a fantastic podcast, by the way. Uh, for those that missed it, you can still catch it online. Go to FightfulMMA.com. It's there. Uh, it, it, we, we discussed so many different things. Some stories have now emanated out of there uh, that Sean and I will discuss today. Um, there's a few different things, not from UFC 211, that I do want to touch on, Sean, because earlier on, before you and I uh, went live here uh we were talking we're doing some stuff and i want to show you something i simply cannot find where i put it i'm one of those guys you tell me if you're one of these guys that when you get a business card from someone that you just met when you're networking you keep it you know it's important and you put it somewhere safe to make sure that whenever you need it you you have access to it i did that i have no idea where it is well what business card was it um for okay 
Have you read up on the stories about Anthony Johnson and Anthony Johnson's new business venture uh, is going to be in the medicinal marijuana category? Yeah, we ran a story about that on Fightful.com this week, actually. All right. Well, in that case there, uh, the party that he'll be doing business with, he said he's got a friend uh, up in Canada. Well, I know this friend quite well, and I ran into him uh, at UFC 210 in Buffalo, um, and he told me about what he's doing, and he gave me his card because uh, obviously I, I was, it's something that I'm interested in uh, when it comes to investing my money and, and knowing where to put it and following things, and I want to say, hey, that guy that Anthony was talking about, I want to show you the card, Sean, and I don't know where that card is, but I'm going to find it. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to find it. Is it anybody I know? No, definitely not. Oh. I'm interested. I'm very interested. Ian McCall basically gave some advice via MMA Junkie. He said, uh, if Anthony plans on doing this, you better get a lawyer. You better get a lawyer because the laws change so quickly and one wrong mistake and you'll end up in prison. I think that's sound advice if you're asking me. Oh, yeah. It's very good advice. And Ian McCall is hit or miss when it comes to advice because – He's had he's had his own troubles and he's said some things that weren't necessarily true. But yeah, I, hey, I agree with him. I agree with him uh, in that regard. You got to do that when you're getting into business, especially because he could make six figures per fight still if he wanted to. But he also stated in this interview that he did with Booker T. Anthony Rumble Johnson, that is, he stated that uh, he was never a fighter. Fighting wasn't for him. He didn't want to do it. Never wanted to do it. He was just so athletic that it be, it came it went it just. Be, it was natural for him to excel at something like this. He says, I'm done taking – and this is what you and I talked about uh, after that event, UFC 210. Uh, and we talked about it all week after that, that he's not a guy that wants to take that head trauma anymore. He doesn't want to take any more brain damage. Uh, although he did make a quote that kind of insulted me. He's like, I want to be able to you know, one day have kids and be able to talk to my kids when I'm 45. And I'm like, I'm 43, dude. <laughs> so I – I don't know he thought I was that old, but okay. Um, so yeah, so it's one of those things where he's like, I'm done. He goes, if these young guys want to take that punishment and they want to continue with their careers in that way, by all means, do it. It happens in hockey or it happens in MMA. It happens in football. Um, but he said he's done with it. He says he's got a greater plan. There's more greatness for him to pursue. And this is what he wants to pursue. But it is dangerous because it's brand new. I mean, it's not like it was with alcohol back in the prohibition days, uh, but it is kind of similar. So I think McCall gave him the right advice. But Anthony says he doesn't want to fight anymore. He's not taking that damage. It's not me. I think that Dana White has always kind of said it best that if you question it, then just just let it go. It's time to go if you're if you're if you're questioning it. That's that's why so many times we've said somebody's got their foot halfway in and out the door. Well, we have seen there are cases like an Eddie Wineland where he's had a foot out the door and he's performed exceptionally. Then there's Anthony Rumble Johnson who has a foot out the door and goes out and has one of the all-time fart noise performances in UFC title history. So, yeah, I, I'm all on board with him giving it up. If, if, if his heart isn't in it, then what? if I don't have to see him perform the way he did against Daniel Cormier again, cool. Yeah, that's understandable. That, that was a performance that many of us – I mean, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, wow. But clearly, now we're starting to understand why that performance happened. And maybe you can go back uh, for those that always said that Anthony Johnson, the minute he's in trouble, he's going to quit. He'll give up his neck. He'll give up that rear naked choke. Uh, perhaps his comments now will sort of get people to understand why. If he says he was never really a fighter, he enjoyed it. He was athletic. He liked, I guess, putting a hurt on people. But the minute he started getting hurt, I don't want to take this. I know other fighters that have competed in the UFC, Sean. 
that have told me this themselves. I won't give up any names, but they said, why would I take any more abuse? I Shane fought. Carwin. How about Other that guys? one? How about that one who deaded people for years? Deaded people. He caught his first couple of ass whoopings, and he said, you know, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm an a engineer. civil engineer. Yep. Yeah. I think I'm all set on that getting my ass kicked thing. So... Yeah, so I mean, there there are many fighters out there. Uh, I, like I said, I don't want to give off any names, uh, but I, I've had this conversation before, and they flat out looked me in the eye, knowing it was off the record. But they basically said, "Why? It's just I'm getting paid. Uh, I'm not going to be getting paid as much if I quit. But I ain't taking that head abuse anymore." Yeah, and uh, why? Why should they? Given what we know now, and uh, you know, I wonder what effects that'll have on the sport that, that I love in the future, but. When I see all these people that are like, let's just adopt knees to the head of a grounded opponent, uh, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you, man? What the hell? One stuff takedown, the fight's over. There you go. The fight is over. Like, get a grip, get real. That ain't happening. And, And yeah, I'm all for, if you say that and then you turn around and you write an article about CTE and how the UFC wasn't concerned about concussions... You're a hypocrite and you're a piece of crap. So, I mean, and, and I've seen plenty of that. Yeah, it's uh, it, I, I think we're in an age right now, not just with the, the, the new ownership of the UFC. I think we're in an age right now where things are going to be almost so fluid that, that things are going to change. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's always a talk about fighters associations and unions. And we saw GSP sort of get into that momentarily. Now GSP is potentially not even coming back to fight Bisping. He may be coming back at 170 pounds and, you know, fighters taking shots at the UFC, which back in the day was unheard of, uh, or at least calling out the UFC. Uh, you know, who was it on the show at UFC 211? Um, James Vick. He flat out said, "You guys aren't promoting me enough. Promote me enough. I'll, I'll take the winner of Kiesa and and uh, and Lee." I He's another guy. guy, guy with- argue with me that Gilbert Melendez belonged in that top fifteen over James Vick. No, unfortunately not. Great fighter, but not now. No, he's only yeah. won once in three years, or one, or once in the UFC, or something. Once in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a great fighter. You know, in, in his in his heyday, you know, when when he was fighting in Japan and for Strike Force, was a fantastic fighter. But at the moment, no. No, you can't. You, I don't think you can put him in the top fifteen. Although he, you know, he was on the Ultimate Fighter and fought for the title. I, I don't think you know he, he's that guy. There are twenty guys at minimum that belong in there over uh, Gilbert Melendez. Uh, he, I don't think Melendez is top twenty. Top twenty. I mean, because then you got like the Trinaldos and people like that who aren't even ranked. It's it's a tough. I mean, that division is crazy as is. I mean, oh, there, yeah. there's always going to be fluidity there. Uh, and I'm not the one to ever. To, I'm not the one to make this comment. John John Anik was the first one to make this comment live on a broadcast. But he was bang on. You lose a fight at 155 pounds, you're gonna have a long, long time to make up and probably get near a title shot. You know, it's there's so much depth in that division. That and 170. There's so much depth there. One loss when you become you start sniffing contendership. You're in big, big trouble. I mean, Donald Cerrone was able to do it a few times, but he's a rarity, man. He's yeah, a rarity. And he's special. He's marketable. He fights all the time. It's it's easy for him to get back in there because a couple of wins for him puts you back uh, back in that. But yeah, uh, we got Joseph Duffy in the chat saying, "Give me Vic Iaquinta in a war." Yeah, I'd be down for that. 
well, two guys that want to be promoted more. One guy's already promoting himself. One guy's taking that step to do it. I'd love to see that fight there for sure. That'd be fantastic. I mean, uh, you, you break down that fight there. You obviously, I, I think you're going to have to give, uh, obviously, the reach advantage to Vic, which is obvious. But Iaquinta's got some skills, man. He's just, both these guys have skills. That's a great fight. I'd like to see it as well. Yeah, and that's the right move to make. You put two up-and-comers. And, hey, you never know what these two are going to say about each other. You might get some Kevin Lee, Michael Chiesa magic now. Because, like we said before last week, that wasn't a main event. It was in terms of quality of the fight. Like, you're talking about uh, talent in the ring, talent in the cage. But after last week, that is a main event, period. I want to see that. I got a reason. It's like in, in pro wrestling, you want a reason to watch matches, and if they don't give you a reason to, it's like, why? That's not always the case in MMA. Sometimes good fighters are enough. That wasn't enough for a main event, but one, one little jo- uh, comment about somebody's mother, and all of a sudden, <laughs> things, get, things get heated. That thing got ugly real quick, and it was what it needed. It, it's, it's, as crazy as it sounds... It's what that fight needed. And that's the kind of stuff, unfortunately, that sells fights. Fortunately and unfortunately, because that sells fights, because now you got heat. I've always made, I, I'll never forget uh, at the, when um, Randy Couture fought Antonio Rodrigo Noguera, uh, and there was like zero sort of hype for that fight because, yeah, it was two legends, but there was no real animosity, two good guys, uh, don't really talk trash. And I asked Dana White, hey, man, like, are you having a problem? Did you have a problem promoting this fight? Because we're, we're you know we're three or four days away from uh, the main event, or three three or four days away from the pay per view. Do you think you know you're gonna have a hard time selling pay per views? And he cut me off right away. But he's gonna do he's gonna put on his promoter hat and just do his thing. Uh, he's like, no, this is what happens when you get two legends that are that are good guys and blah blah. Fight turned out to be fantastic, but that doesn't mean if a tree falls in the forest, someone's gonna see it or hear it. It's very true. They are gonna be able to use that footage. Just in the buildup. They got to do something special with that. I just hope nothing too bad happens to a, a Kevin Lee for for the, the punch he threw. Because he's going to get some sort of punishment off of that. He, he has to. Because you can't just have people punching each other all willy-nilly at pressers. Willy-nilly. Yeah. That's a southern thing? It's just a thing. <laughs> it's just a thing, man. Yeah. No, listen. Uh, what, about, what do you make of those the, the fans that said it was all staged? Oh, God. Listen, guys. I cover staged pro wrestling <laughs> <laughs> for a living. Uh, and let me tell you, these people work really hard to become great actors at staging what they do. That wasn't staged. They're, they're not that good at acting. But I, I will say this, Conor McGregor changed the world. You know the UFC, Dana White are like, thank God he came around. Because it has a, it has a trickle-down effect. Everybody sees how to do it. Now, should Kevin Lee be out there dressed like Russell Westbrook? No. I mean, he stole the outfit from Russell Westbrook. Uh, how dare you? How dare you have the balls, Kevin Lee? Big fan of his... In, of his of his fighting ability, but how dare you, for one, say that Conor McGregor wants to be like you when you are dressed like Russell Westbrook. Do you know who Michael Rappaport is? Yeah. Fantastic podcast, entertaining guy. And he covers NBA a lot. He says that (laughs) Russell Westbrook has spearheaded the skinny genification of the (laughs) NBA. Oh, wow. Wow. And unfortunately, 
Conor McGregor has spearheaded the skinny genification of MMA a little bit. But the thing is, it doesn't necessarily help the NBA. It helps MMA. MMA could have... They, they needed a little skinny genification. They needed a, some of that. that as way opposed it, to the Affliction era? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, man. American Fighter's the new one. I've told you that before. But, like, here in Kentucky... Like I, you know, I wouldn't be caught dead in anything American Fighter these days. Fine for those who do. It's just not my style. But they made the best rash guard I ever saw when they had the American Pie knockoff logo back in the day, and Rich Franklin was pushing them, and Matt Hamill was pushing them. But now they like rebranded into like a modern day affliction, and people that you see and you're like, you've never fought in your life. <laughs> Whether on the mats or, and there's nothing wrong with not doing that. Violence isn't a, a conflict on, or, or isn't a resolution on the streets. But they, they, they've got the new thing. They, they've got the American Fighter, and I'm like, man, who would have, who would have thought? But good for American Fighter, first off, for rebranding themselves and finding success. Hey, Tapout had to do it. Tapout moved over to pro wrestling. They're like, we've extended, we've stayed our welcome in MMA, and we've overstayed it rather. And they partnered up with WWE. And now they got John Cena and Charlotte and uh, Becky Lynch wearing their clothes every week. So for those MMA fans that are tuned in right now that don't know, uh, that don't pay attention or watch uh, professional wrestling, uh, it's probably news to them that Tapout did that uh, because Tapout was synonymous with the UFC uh, pretty much from day one. Uh, they were synonymous with their logo, uh, their gear, uh, the crew always showing up at events. Yeah, you know, e- even after Mask passed away, uh, you know, um, Skyscraper was there, Punk Ass was there. They were always there. Uh, and then slowly but surely, times change, man. Times change, and so do demographics. Somebody says I was sad that Jesus didn't tap, get it, didn't get over huge. <laughs> well, first off, how's he gonna tap? He's nailed to a cross. Let's just first get that one out of the way. Uh, that one was kind of weird, but there were a lot like form athletics. I loved form athletics. I thought they did some great stuff. Somebody says, anyone remember Hitman fight gear? I do. That was, they, that was in Kmart for a while. That was pretty big. MMA elite was like the kind that would be more affordable and you would, everybody would be able to get it. It's crazy how Kevin Lee got us into a conversation about MMA fashion because he ripped off Russell Westbrook. My original point was, how dare you say that Conor McGregor wants to be like you in general? But to say that when you're directly ripping off a Russell Westbrook outfit, weird, weird. But yeah, do you remember how big MMA apparel was back then? Well, if you look at the bottom of your screen and you look at my name, that name emanated from my company, a company that I co-founded called Showdown Fightwear, Showdown Boxing. Uh, we were in the UFC early on in the days. I think Jeremy Horn versus, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy Horn versus Chuck Liddell the first time they fought. Uh, so 1-0 and against Tapout. Uh, and then Elvis Sinisic, I think when he fought uh, Frank Shamrock, when he fought Tito Ortiz, I think he was donning Showdown Fightwear shorts. Um, so the, the name Showdown Joe came from when I had the company Showdown Fightwear and Showdown Boxing. So I was fully entrenched uh, in the MMA industry. That's how I basically got in 
to broadcasting, believe it or not, because it was me training, me meeting a, a guy, and we talked, and we, we had a great idea. I had connections. He had connections. Let's come up with a company, Showdown, blah, 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 Showdown Fightwear. We started sponsoring events, UCC and TKO, which obviously gave us guys like George St. Pierre. We had Carlos Newton. In. We had Fedor uh, in some of our gloves back in the day. Uh, but when people would go to local grappling events or MMA events, and they said, hey, man, I want to get a shirt. I want to get a pair of gloves. I want to get some wraps. And they'd always say, go see Joe. Well, Joe who? And they, they would point to our big banner, Showdown Joe. And that's how the Showdown Joe name uh, came about, which obviously obviously has to do with fighting and stuff like that. But yeah, no, the apparel game was, was huge. And I knew that you know, we would have to go up against Tap Out and Bad Boy and, and the big companies back then. And we had a great business plan, unfortunately. Uh, you know, Trying to condense a story here, not to air any dirty laundry. I chose to leave that. I chose to leave the company uh, just because I wasn't agreeing with what was happening. And you know, here I am today, and that's what got me into broadcasting. Because when I went to the UCC TKO, they asked me to be a color commentator for their events, for their fights. From there, it spawned relationships, networking, blah blah. Sportsnet, Fightful, boom. Here I am, Titan FC. Uh, what in two days, three days? I leave for Titan, Miami. There, right there. Can you what? see that? And what I'll ask you, what I'll ask you is, do you think that the UFC's sponsor tax and the sponsorship of, like, obviously Reebok, all that stuff, because the sponsor tax hurt too, do you think that put a lot of these people out of business? Because I don't remember the last time I saw a Hitman shirt, Death Clutch, Warrior Wear, Punishment Athletics, uh, Triumph United, Full Contact Fighter, Sprawl, Silver Star, um, Extreme Sprawl was huge. Extreme Couture. Title MMA, uh, what else? Dethrone, Clinch Gear, Throwdown, which our logo looks a lot like. I just realized our logo looks a lot like the Throwdown. Uh, RCVA, Jayco, Bad Boy, Everlast, which I mean, Everlast is going to be fine. They're, they're entrenched in the game. Venom, even. All those people, like, it was hard to not get sponsored back then. Now it's totally different. So the question you asked was, do I think the Reebok deal potentially puts some of those companies out of business? You may have just answered your own question, sir. Because oh, yeah. the, the, the ability to sponsor fighters and the ability to actually get your logo on a fighter and then get grand stage like the UFC, whether it's on pay-per-view, uh, whether it's on Fox, whether it's on uh, Fight Pass, whatever, at the time, uh, was pretty good. Now, the, the UFC then puts on a sponsor tax. Basically saying uh, you're either big enough to be with us or you're going to have to pay a huge amount of money to be with us. It was one of those two things. So even that was difficult uh, to get to become part of the UFC. So when you take a look at what this Reebok deal did, it forced all these different companies to look elsewhere, obviously Bellator and any other event. But the viewership simply isn't there. If you weren't with the UFC and or Bellator World Series of Fighting uh, and some of these other organizations, you're not going to get that viewership. You know, uh, it, to me, it's a breath of fresh air whenever I call a Titan event because I'll watch a Titan event. I get to see all these different sponsors all over again, some of them local for some of the fighters. Uh, I don't know how that translates uh, to a lot of the local. I don't know how it translates for some of the bigger sponsors uh, as well. But, uh, you know, being with a company like Titan FC, it's a breath of fresh air because it reminds me of almost what it feels like it should be now. The Reebok deal is fantastic if you're the UFC, not necessarily so great for the fighters because now you've blocked off potential – like if you're getting paid X amount of money from Reebok because you're fighting in the UFC, but you could have got Y amount from another sponsor, clothing sponsor, that sucks. That sucks, right? Yeah. And any other sponsors, it's, it's very difficult, but the UFC is 
their own sport. It's their own brand. It's not their own sport. Excuse me. It's their own brand. It's like the NHL uh, or, you know, GSP said it best when the question was before his return, you know, when I was talking to him about the Under Armour deal and I said, well, what's the deal with the Under Armour thing? Uh, you know, if you go back to the UFC, you got a Reebok situation and before that press conference with Bisping and before the press conference of him coming back, he flat out told me, he's like, go look up Tom Brady and Under Armour. Tom Brady wears Under Armour. When he plays, he wears Nike or Nike. I think uh, the Patriots Reebok. are sponsored by or Reebok. Uh, so either way, you know, when I'm on the playing surface, I've got to wear that sponsor. Outside of it, I can wear whatever I want. Now, GSP is much bigger uh, than 99% of the fighters that are out there. So he can get away with doing Under Armour shoots and blah, blah, blah. But that's something that guys like Elias Theodoro will take a look at, getting the sponsorship with Pert Plus and, and getting stuff like that. So there are ways to make money. You're just not going to capitalize it with the UFC. If that's the case... Go to plan B. Go to plan C. Figure it out. Do you think it sticks around after the current deal is up? Because no. we, got, we got new ownership now. So they may look at things and say, we're cutting a bunch of fighters and we're trying to keep morale up. Let this happen. If I were them, I would hire brokers to help negotiate and say, hey, if you guys want us to negotiate your sponsorships with some other people, we'll take a cut of that. Like, act as the manager, like, not necessarily the manager, but, like, to a degree, be able to help broker sponsors for fighters if they're able to. I mean, I don't know, that may violate some some rules, especially if, like, uh, if if certain things go down that, that put that into question, but... I mean, the UFC can work with companies to sponsor fighters as well, I'm sure. But then you, you'll have accusations of playing favorites and stuff. So maybe just the old method's better. Yeah, well, the old method definitely works. I mean, you, you could start talking about collusion and conflict of interest. And, you know, they're getting a cut when they shouldn't be getting a cut. And they're taking, still taking money out of the fighter's pocket one way or the other. So uh, I, I do like the old way. Uh, you know, it, it was more or less every man for himself. As long as the UFC uh, can basically, the UFC was going to capitalize on it no matter what. That's why they had that sponsor tax. It sucks, but you know, it, it would have been nice if it was just simply, hey, listen, you want it, you want the fighters to make money, let them get their own sponsorship. Just okay the sponsor. Uh, what was the condom one that used to be uh, back Depot. in the day? Condom Depot. Like, do you want that as part of your brand, the UFC? Probably not. Maybe you put a stop to that one there. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But for the UFC purposes, maybe not a good idea, right? So you could put a stop to that. But it, it, you know, in, in a perfect world for you want to make the fighters happy. Yeah. Let them get their own sponsors and just simply veto it if you like it or not. Don't take a dollar from it. No sponsor tax. Done. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. And then, then you have a better opportunity. I mean, if you if you don't raise salaries because they're trying to make that money back, then this that doesn't bother nearly as much and who knows maybe we'll see a new influx of apparel companies again because back then everybody wanted to start their own but the sponsor tax was originally started because people were getting screwed out of money well here's here's a quick way to handle it say if you want to get a sponsor you have to get paid up front you have to get paid up front or nothing else no no paying after the fight deal uh that i would maybe put that in the ufc fighter contract say but what if the fighter doesn't make it to the fight and gets injured? I, you know, pay condition him condition the, on the week of at least. You know, yeah. Kevin Lee, man, sparked a conversation. Yeah, 
No, it's great. I think it's part of it all. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if the article that I submitted to you today uh, for your beautiful review, I'm sure you were doing your hair at the time, uh, if you were reading it or not. Um, I basically, you know, speaking of conversation, it was just been running through my mind and I brought it up to you at the end of the podcast on uh, on Saturday or I guess Sunday morning. Is the UFC, are UFC events simply too long? For fans, yeah. are they simply too long? Six and a half or six hours and 40 minutes is the average. When you compare them to the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, which are under three hours, and the NFL is simply over three hours by six minutes. So on average, you're talking two and a half to three hours for Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, NFL, and six, six hours and 40 minutes for the UFC. So the question I had is, is that simply too much for one sitting? So I propose, hey, why not have a fight night during the week, where there's you know it's a two-hour broadcast, four fights. Leave your pay-per-views once a month, where there's only five fights on that main card. You still go from ten o'clock Eastern till about one o'clock or one a.m. Uh, the next morning. You spread it out. Hockey does it, or Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball plays at least six games a week at minimum, sometimes seven. But the NFL is once a week, but it's all Sunday, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it? Makes sense potentially. It's obviously, you, there's a lot of things you have to look at if you're the UFC, mm-hmm. especially seasonal, because you don't want to go against the NBA or whatever, or, or Major League Baseball in the summer, NBA in the winter, uh, NFL on a Sunday, and stuff like that. But you take a look at why not a two-hour midweek fight week live, great fights, fighters that should be being developed for pay-per-view. Once a month, you have your pay-per-view with established stars, okay? As opposed to having a six and a half hour event for fans. They got to be there at 6:30 at minimum for that first fight, 6:30 But they Eastern. never are. They never are. But if a hardcore fan wants to do that, they're there from 6:30 Eastern at minimum till way past midnight, probably hammered out of their tree by that point cuz you've been drinking for 7 hours, 8 hours. You know, is it too long? Yeah, it is. And we're starting to see the UFC employ Sunday cards more. Like, we'll see that with the, the Sweden card. That'll be in mid-afternoon here in America. A lot of the time, I hear from a crossover audience, from pro wrestling, a very casual audience. And one of the things I always hear is, well, when does the main event start? Then I hear, when does the main card start? Or how long till the main card? Well, that that gets you in a slippery territory because the UFC always puts a good fight on the, the prelim main event because they want people... Like, they wouldn't move Poirier and Alvarez from that prelim main event spot because they wanted it there. And they had already advertised it and what they promised Fox and FS1 and FX or whatever is what they want. It doesn't need to be that long, but what they have to... They're trying to serve a lot of masters. They're trying to serve... Uh, the pay-per-view master. They're trying to serve the Fox master. They're trying to serve their own uh, selves, their own Fight Pass brand. My thing would be one Fight Pass fight. One, if you had to. Two prelims, and then your five main card fights. I would limit it to eight to nine fights. You don't need ten fights. A four-and-a-half-hour show is plenty long and probably a little too long. Yeah, I still think it's long. I really still think it's too long. And I the, just, you know... And now there's always the concern, well, what if something falls out, falls off? Well, if something falls off, if you have one fight fall off, well, then you just don't have a fight pass show. Say, I'm sorry, we'll make it up to you. That's your brand. You can do whatever you want with it. And if something falls off the Fox show, you do the same thing. You move the prelim up. 
Or you can have Brian Stan and Daniel Cormier out there talking. Show a fight from the last card. They they showed UFC, what was it, the, the December pay-per-view, 206 maybe. They showed the whole pay-per-view a couple weeks after it aired because it was so good and nobody watched it on pay-per-view that they aired it on Fox. You can use that as a promotional tool and say, look what you missed on the last pay-per-view. You fool. You didn't pay, pay your 60 bucks to watch this? Well, you better because you're not always going to get that here. You lucked out this time. There, yeah, there so are ways around this. That's what production meetings are for. There are smart, smart minds at the UFC on that production team. Believe me, uh, Tim O'Toole being the top of that food chain. Uh, very smart guy. He's got a great, great amount of staff uh, that, that, that could bring up ideas like this. I, I think it could work. I think a, one midweek or a midweek show every Wednesday, for example. You want to get rid of the ultimate fighter? Get rid of the ultimate fighter. But every Wednesday, you, know, you have this midweek show, uh, two hours, four fights. You have your pay-per-view once a month. Done. You can add a, a fight pass fight to each one of those uh, as a backup, potentially, uh, and then you take it from there. I mean, I, I just it, – it's so the, the casium I had was six and a half hours is a long time for hardcore fans. Most of the fans aren't going to show up there to watch that first fight at 6.30 Eastern, uh, p.m. Eastern. They're, they're going to probably show up closer to the main card unless that Fox card is fantastic. Uh, then I, the, the question I asked was from a media perspective – is it simply too long of a day? Uh, it's it's technically it's not. It's an eight and a half hour shift on fight night. It, it's not really to me. It's not really a job. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not a job. It's yeah. I love I love fighting. I love the UFC. I love mixed martial arts. And you know, it's to get paid to do something you love is fantastic. But I don't want to compare it to to other peeps. I want to compare it to other sports. Uh, and you know, in the article, I spoke to another media member who's with Fightful, and he gave me his take. And I thought, oh, I may not be onto something for the media. But I may be onto something for the fans. So, you know, if uh, I don't have access to the live chat, Sean, my apologies. Uh, I don't know what the fans may be saying. Is, is six and a half hours or six hours and 40 minutes on average too much? Too uh, vir- much for a UFC fan. Virtually everybody is saying that it, it's too long. And we have Adam Ball asking if it's an overhead issue. I, I don't think that because, I mean, they're just – they're gaining more costs. Now, there are some things like Strikeforce. Uh, they, they would run a lot of fights because what they would do – is they would go to, say, Nashville, and they would put a bunch of semi-local people on the prelim card and really extend it because King Mo wasn't selling the venue out. Gegar Musashi wasn't selling the venue out. Even Ronda Rousey wasn't selling the venue out. So they would hope that the friends and the family of those locals would come there. And you see that with Bellator today. Uh, that, that's a thing that they do as well. I think you got to shorten it a little bit. I'm okay with the number of cards, I'm okay with that. I really am. It should be less, but because you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I was excited for UFC this past weekend because I hadn't seen it in a while. But now, yeah, yeah and, and it's it's a pain for people on the East Coast. For us, it's tough, guys. It is rough. UFC pay per view nights. I usually get to bed about four a.m. and I'm not doing the live coverage, and I'm not doing the post fight articles. What happens is. I'll do articles in the middle of the show, like if somebody breaks their leg, I'll do an article on that. If there's a title change, I do something on that. If there's a, a big fight result, I got to do that as well. But David Tease is doing the play-by-play, and then I have either Steve Muehlhausen or Pat Fannin, who we put together basically a—they invoice it as a 
post-fight package where they're live tweeting the presser because I'm on a podcast with you. So I'm out there promoting the podcast during that time. As soon as I get off of the podcast, maybe an hour later, I got to catch up on the presser. I got to know what's going on there. That way I can say, hey, you do this article, you do this article, I'll do this article. Then I got to get videos up. I got to schedule videos for the morning because you don't want to have a bare morning of content. You don't want to, you've got to have the Octagon interviews up and the backstage interviews up and all that stuff. Uh, Mike Straw in the chat says, covering UFC uh, 210, Joe and I left at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. By the time I was done working that night, it was 5.30 a.m. when I went to bed because they cater to the West Coast. It used to, a lot of sports will cater to the East Coast. Now, I'm not saying that they should do that, but damn, and you know, they're, the West Coast is wa- are watching these pay-per-views from 7 to what, 7 to 10 must be nice. Must be <laughs> nice, man. I would love yeah. to be able to be done at one or two. Just, well, just real quick before you go on, just, just for Mike Straw. Uh, yeah, we were tired. I mean, I didn't get to, and I walked back. I, I we left the arena three thirty four o'clock. I walked back to my hotel. It was. I got to the hotel around four twenty. Uh, no Diaz pun intended. There uh, four thirty ish around there. By the time I passed out, it was five a.m. I had to leave the next morning uh, to get home to to do the podcast with you. Uh, actually, no, we didn't do the podcast, but I had to drive home two and a half hours uh, to get home. But Mike, just just I know you're watching right now. Imagine covering it on the West Coast if you're able to catch and, and cover a UFC in Vegas uh, or in California. You're done at 1 a.m., 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. It's cool. And your flight doesn't leave till 3 o'clock the afternoon the next day. It's worth going to Vegas. Just to, Jimmy Van. Is Jimmy Van watching this? Not right now. He's in meetings. Mike Strauss <laughs> says, I'd be all for getting rid of tough. It's gotten too stale. I think they will after the next season if I were them. They would only. I think they'll only bring it back for special seasons. They're starting to learn that they got to do something special. They got to make put a title on the line, or they've got to do a comeback season, or they got to do something like that because otherwise people aren't going to watch. And if Dana White's new contender series takes off, I see Fox saying, "Hey, let us have that instead," because I mean the fights are outside of when it's for a title are more important. They count towards a guy's record. Why the hell didn't they count on the Ultimate Fighter live? That's weird. But you see things that they do. They're, they're like, okay, we'll bring in a new division of girls. 135. Uh, 115 title. 125 title. A comeback season. Uh, a live season. They've, they've tried things like that. I think you, they're missing out by doing another heavyweights season. That one was a big hit. Because, I mean, but them, they're like, if we got a heavyweight prospect, we just want to sign them. That's what it basically is. It still is today. If yeah, because it's so bare. Uh, I, I would take a look at, you know, and don't, I got to be careful how I word this because I don't, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. But there's a lot of CM Punks out there. A lot of big name yeah. people out there. Big names that would love to try mixed martial arts that you could pull potentially from the NFL from professional wrestling, from hockey, from wherever, whatever sport that aren't really making it in that sport have a bit of a name, but now you put them in a house with 15 other dudes. Sean and you Merriman. may have, right? There's tons of them out there. You just got to find the right weight class, try and get them to understand cutting weight and stuff like that. But it could, that could be a whole totally different ultimate fighter. One of them's going to come out, maybe two. You know, there's an idea for, I should be getting paid for this, Sean. We should be getting paid. I would, I would watch a freak show. 
Ultimate Fighter? Ultimate Fighter with Sean Merriman and CM Punk. Keep in mind, they had a bit of a feud when CM Punk was in WWE because he saw Sean Merriman trying to get with some of the WWE women and they shot him down. And they oh. went back and forth on Twitter. So there's, they're completely, like, Sean Merriman's a heavyweight. But still, yeah. I mean, them in a house. I mean, Jose Canseco tried to fight. Yeah. But- did, you ever watch, did you ever watch Liar Liar? No, I didn't. The movie? There's a line where Jim Carrey says, "Oh, I, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've yeah. seen." Yeah, sorry. I I had a video of uh, Hong Man Choi beating up Jose Canseco, and I dubbed the audio of Jim Carrey going, "But I'm Jose Canseco." Over it when he was uh, getting arrested or pulled from court. Good times. Yeah, you know what? But wouldn't you watch Jose Canseco for twelve weeks? Yeah, he's crazy as shit. Of course I would. We gotta stop this. It? We got, we got to stop giving up these ideas. We're giving up way too much ideas for the UFC. Thomas says that's a crap show. So let's watch unskilled people do MMA. Yeah, I'd rather watch them do unskilled MMA uh, in exhibition fights than real fights on pay per view, buddy. <laughs> is Thomas T taking shots at both of us? Because I mentioned CM Punk. I just I just noticed that CM Punk is giving me a come on. Is that a shot at me or? Just an idea, son. Know. Just an idea. Uh, lots of ideas out there. Uh, I don't know about this contender series. I want to get into that. I, that kind of made me upset uh, on Saturday. Um, yeah, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of things happening. Um, I'm glad you actually mentioned that that the next show for the UFC uh, is on a Sunday because I was about to do something on that Sunday, and I'm not doing it anymore, Sean. So I appreciate you telling me. Um, I'm looking forward to going back. I leave for for Florida tomorrow. Uh, obviously, I'm covering or I'm, I'm doing play by play for Titan FC because there were so many American top team fighters on this card that competed at UFC 211. So I'm looking forward to running into some of them. Uh, I'd like to run into, you know, Johanna Jacek. I don't think so. I've never seen her at a Titan event and we don't usually get out um, to American top team. Uh, but there's a lot of peeps here that I would like to speak to just to get their thoughts on a bunch of things because, man, that was a stacked card for them. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to run into a bunch of them. I, I want to ask you, we didn't really talk about this uh, on the post show on Saturday. Um, Chase Sherman, were you impressed by his performance or were you like, this guy's going to gas himself out? Lo and behold, he gassed himself out and almost cost him the fight. I appreciated his effort, but not impressed. That was a sloppy fight. It was a sloppy fight. And it's heavyweight. You're allowed to, you can, you got some room to have a sloppy fight. I haven't been impressed with much of Chase Sherman in the UFC. He, I mean, it was a good fight. Don't don't get me wrong. I I really enjoyed it, but he he lost he lost against Walt Harris. He lost his, his first fight, I think, in August. He's just, you know, he's not he's not that good. I mean, he I remember a couple. It, I think he's got a loss to Alex Nicholson, and Alex Nicholson's like what a one hundred and eighty five pounder last year. Uh, I don't. I think I called. That was the show before uh, I started the play-by-play stuff. I think I was uh, a roaming reporter for that one. If I'm not, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I was a roaming reporter for that one. There, yeah. That's a, that's the that's the it's a the story dude. of heavyweight. Uh, as Justin Golightly, one of our former reporters, says in the chat, people love unskilled MMA. I do too. It's fun. Yeah, that's that's pretty much. And this was very largely unskilled MMA. It was sloppy. I don't know if it was sloppy. That's kind of sloppy. No, no. There was some technique there for the big guys. I think he was doing good. I think what, what happened is, you know, he, he when, when he got 
Coulter on the ground, I don't think he was smart in realizing that, hey, man, I may not be able to finish this guy. He's tough as nails. I got to start pacing myself here. And I think he almost punched himself out because he was on wobbly legs and that fight went back to the ground. But I was I was okay uh, with some of his stand-up, with some of his footwork. So, you know, I'm okay with Chase Sherman. I got to tell you, Rashad Coulter, those got a heart and just insane at how he fights. But, yeah, it's uh, I could see what you're saying, Sean. There's a bit of sloppiness there. I get it, but they're heavyweights. You yeah, can't expect them to fight like featherweights. Ole Sammy Ole says two fat guys at heavyweight is unacceptable. That's just not the reality of things, man. Like, look at Fabricio Verdum. He's not a big, ripped dude. Cain Velasquez has never been a ripped dude. Like, if you're that big, chances are, unless you're on some shit, <laughs> then you're going to probably have a little extra weight. That's just the, the nature of things. Yeah, uh, a lot of stuff. Um, Dana White gave some props to James Vick. He actually acknowledged in the post-fight press conference that this kid called us out. This kid, yeah, you know, whatever. But, you know, what do you do if you're the UFC and James Vick? What do you do with James Vick? Because there's 500 fighters on that roster. They can't promote every single one of them. At some point, you've got to be able to step out of the UFC's promotional umbrella promote yourself and maybe get underneath a bigger umbrella with the UFC. There's a guy, I don't know if you ever heard of him, named Conor McGregor who did that. And he wasn't even a main event on a show that they did in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. And he had his own poster. There was the whole card with the poster, all the fighters, and Conor McGregor had his own poster. And he was allowed to be at the press conference. The guys were like, what is this? Who's this guy? Why, 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 why? Well, Conor McGregor has that thing, has that it factor, and he proved it. So if you're the UFC, you're Dana White, you're Sean Shelby, what do you do with a guy like James Vick? Well, I mean, they knew Conor McGregor was going to be something special way early on. Do you remember, I think it was the maybe the Boston show? I can't remember what it was. It was an FS1 show where they gave him like the lights out entrance and all that stuff before a lot of people knew who he was. If I'm the UFC, I give James Vick a good top 15 fight. Ally Aquinta is, hey, that's that's. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a phenomenal idea. You can put that as a co-main or a main on an FS1 show and sell it in, where the hell's James Vick from? Texas, isn't he? Okay, sell it in New York then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call click granger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done. Just <laughs> Texas. No, no offense to James Vick. They're not going to give a damn about him there. But in New York, they still want to run some shows up in the New York, New Jersey area. And they got a lot of fighters that are from up there. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I would do that. Also, I would encourage James Vick to get away from Lloyd Irvin. Just, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. 
I hear what you say. Now, a lot of stuff happened on that show. You and I had discussed it, uh, especially the Eddie Alvarez, uh, Dustin Poirier fight. Um, I guess referee Herb Dean came out, uh, did an interview, uh, but no matter which way you turn, you would assume everyone believes that that was a disqualification. Uh, unfortunately, not necessarily so. I had a chance to catch up uh, with Sean Pearson to get his thoughts on that and a bunch of other things. Uh, but you tell me, play the clip whenever you get a chance. Sean Pearson giving me his thoughts on whether or not it was a disqualification. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about this. Uh, a little bit after after he's done talking, uh, but I want to show you all this clip. Uh, Sean Pearson, and maybe not on the same page as us, and I was a little surprised. So uh, here, here you go, Pearson talking to Joe. Uh, Joe had a little bit of technical issues here because he's an oaf. He's an oaf. But check it out. UFC 211 went down. Uh, lots of controversies, controversy, especially with the Dustin Poirier, uh, Eddie Alvarez situation. Uh, you know, it, it was ruled a no contest, but the react, the reality is, it was an illegal knee. Eddie Alvarez should have been disqualified. Your thoughts? Uh, you know, I understand by the rule set, it's, but it's a double edged sword. A double edged sword here. Um, I agree by the rule set. Obviously, it should be DQ. But at the end of the day. MMA was created to simulate fighting. I don't know if I fully agree with the rule anyways, kneeing a down opponent. To me, I don't know. I have a hard time. You know, it's like the whole front headlock position. You should be able to knee the guy in the head. You know, you're in a position of advantage. You should be able to knee the guy. Um, So, yeah, by your rule set, I get it. It should be a DQ. But at the same time, I feel like, do you know what I mean? It's a fight. You're in there. And I'll tell you this. When you're rocked, and, you know, Alvarez has definitely been rocked, um, you're, you're fighting You're going on a lot of instincts there and, you know, and he saw an opportunity, went for the finish. You're right. Probably should have been DQ'd, but I'm okay with the, the no contest based on the fact that he's in there trying to survive and do his thing. So again, I, I understand the, the problem here, but at the same time, we're trying to simulate fights right now. Are you okay with some of the criticism out there right now that's going on with Johanna Jacek saying that she can't finish fights? Uh, Damian Maya, who was, loved heading into his fight with uh, Jorge Masvidal that, you know, he barely gets punched in the face. Uh, he's able to to just take guys down, take their back and choke them out, but then fights a guy like Masvidal and uh, is unable uh, to get that choke. Now, he's getting criticism saying he can't finish fights or he's a boring fighter and all that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm baffled by it. What about you? I'm not baffled by it. I agree that he's a boring fighter. And when I say he's a boring fighter, I mean from a general public perspective because I think, I you know, I saw a headline you know, this guy could be UFC champion, yet he doesn't punch. Um, again, it's what people want to see. And I've said it from the start. You can put two drunk guys in the octagon up there, locals, you know, crowds are going to watch. Uh, Maya's a great fighter. Um, he's yet to find his mark on how to sell fights. Like if you, you know, I look at guys who don't punch a lot that, you know, I think could sell would be um, Ben Askren right now. You know, he, he found his, his voice and he's entertaining for people. You know what I mean? I'm not saying his fights are the most entertaining, but, I even still want to, you know, tune in to check him out, but he's found his voice. Maya's got a, a two problems right now. One, he's not the most exciting guy to the average fan to watch. And two, he doesn't have a voice. So, you know, if you got to have one or the other, either performing and you're talking inside the octagon or you're doing it, you know, inside. Even, um, sorry, who's the guy from uh, Iceland? Uh, Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Nelson, he's got an image thing that he, he's looking at where, He's got, you know, a, a quirky style standing up. He's got some great jujitsu, and he's got that cold face, almost like the Rory McDonald, like uh, 
Icelandic psycho. You know, I don't know what his nickname is going to be, but he's got an image and a bit of a voice. His voice is not saying anything, but he's got something there. And, and Maya's, you know, he doesn't have that yet. One guy that always had a voice was Joe Silva. If anyone that's ever met him, uh, he was never afraid to voice his opinion. Uh, Joe Silva will be going into the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, your thoughts on that and, and any stories regarding Joe Silva? Um, no, like Joe, again, I, obviously I interacted with Joe. He did all the matchmaking. Respectful guy. Um, and, and he was, to me, he was very, you know, straightforward. Like I remember, you know, my only story is, you know, when I was going to, I lost, was it Brian Foster? I was supposed to fight on the Toronto card. Yep. And we had about a week and a half to go and He was trying to find me a, a similar style fight as far as skill matchup. And at the end of the day, he couldn't do it. And he said, well, listen, Sean, one of the only guys that accepted the fight was uh, Ellenberger. And he goes, listen, Sean, this fight is well above, you know, Brian Foster at that point saying, you know, this is a much, and I had to make a decision, either get pulled from the card or take the fight, but he was straight, straight with it. He wasn't trying to fool me saying, Hey, Sean, this is an equal fighter. You know what I mean? He was just straight up saying, it's all I got. It's all I can do for you. If you want to stand the Toronto card and I, you know, put my head down and said, let's do it. You know, but uh, I thought he was a great guy, straightforward, and you know, he probably deserves to be in that Hall of Fame. He's been in the UFC a long time. Uh, one of the things that made the UFC huge, which basically created a Hall of Fame eventually because the sport almost went downhill, was the ultimate fighter. Uh, the season right now with Team Dillashaw and Team Garbrandt uh, it isn't too bad. Uh, I don't know if you're watching. Are you enjoying it at all, if you are? I haven't seen an episode in about six years. I don't even know who's on the show. I, I remember rumors that it was sort of a an ex-tough show or something. So all people that have been on it before, but I haven't even watched an episode, nor do I care to. Not a big fan of the Ultimate Fighter anymore? No, it lost its thing for me. Like, you know, at first I sort of, the things I liked about it are the things that they got away from. Like, I like seeing the different training techniques and the, you know, and then eventually they went into just the theatrics. I think the last season I ever saw was that Junie Browning kid that was on there. Because I remember he, uh, he threw a bottle at somebody and then I think he did something else stupid. And I just remember thinking to myself, I would have knifed this kid right in the throat right on national TV. Um, and then I realized that the show's not for me. <laughs> so if you were given the opportunity to go on that show and they paid you a pretty good amount of money, let's say a year's salary, are you getting paid right now? Would you do it? Um, you double up my year's salary, I might do it. But, you know, I'm, I'm a forward thinker. A year's salary, what's that do for me? Because I, I take a nice year's salary and then am I coming back going to the UFC for a higher paycheck or am I taking a tough contract? Because I hear those tough contracts suck. Duly noted. Well, you know, I, again, I, I, you know, I'm not saying I would or wouldn't. If I'm just 22, 23, maybe I make another decision. But right now, I'm like, you know I mean a year's salary is great, perfect, okay, cool. But what do I do after that contract or after that year's salary is gone? Do I get paid how Conor McGregor gets paid? Because then I'll, I'll stay and fight. I don't deserve that money. I, I get it, but I'll stay and fight. But without those big paychecks, it's not worth it. So I think it's safe to say that Pearson's a dope. <laughs> that's Pearson though Pearson's the boy he's a man he's awesome but I mean would uh, he, if it were his half of the pay I bet you his stance would be a little bit different he'd be like oh yeah that's an absolute DQ had he put some money on it I think he would be like that's a DQ I can't believe that not only did Herb Dean do that but he doubled down on his statement because it was illegal no matter what, it was illegal. That was a DQ stoppage in any state under the old rules or the new rules. Now, the first knee 
would have been legal under the new rules. Texas doesn't have the new rules. They got the old rules. And I would like announcers in the UFC to stop talking about those rules if they don't understand them yet. Because they without, and I love Joe Rogan, but he makes it very confusing. Because he explains it, and then he's like, but, 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 maybe, maybe. No, no, no. Take a course. Learn something. I know we tried to have Trig. He's over in the Philippines to talk about this. He'll he'll talk about talk about it with you when whenever he's back. But it's not that difficult, Joe. It's not as hard as everybody makes it out to be. It's not. It definitely is not. Uh, and and uh, Trig apologizes to yourself and, and everybody uh, on the site as well as all the fans uh, and viewers that do tune in and especially those uh, audio as well. We tried to connect yesterday prior to him leaving uh, the Philippines, but the connection was he wasn't able to I wasn't able to hear anything he was saying but we did, we were able to text back and forth and get his thoughts and stuff like that it's illegal man it was an illegal knee no matter which way you look at it uh, before he, you know he's got lots of love for Herb Dean obviously because uh, I think they've done a couple shows together but uh, and he knows Herb Dean very well but you know it, it is one of those things where the rule is simple um, and, and it's not it's not even that difficult when you look at the old rule versus the new rule Right, it's it's just it's been a modification, and it's not that difficult to learn it, right? And it's not that difficult really to unlearn it very quickly when you're going to Texas. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this though, um, and, and I, I guess I could have asked Sean, uh, I could have asked anyone, any any of the fighters out there. I could ask you, uh, being a fellow media member, a fan, um, when I when I hear. Okay, when I read stuff and hear stuff, whether it's on a UFC broadcast and or you read something on a site, how it's not fair for the fighters uh, to have to not know the rules when they go to commission to commission. I call bullshit. I'll tell you why I call bullshit. Because if I know that I'm fighting in Texas and I know Texas has not adopted the unified rule, the new unified rules of MMA and I'm 10 weeks out of camp. Well, guess what I'm training for? I'm training old MMA style where, you know, knees are illegal and blah, 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 okay? Either way, if I'm a fighter, it's incumbent on me and my management, okay, and perhaps even the UFC. Enough people should tell you, hey, you know what? You're fighting in Texas. They haven't adopted the new rules. Knees are illegal at this point. Knees are not illegal here, blah, blah, blah. You're fighting in Vegas with the new rules. Eight weeks from now, you train with that. How can the fighters not know? If I'm playing, again, sorry for being Canadian, okay? I'm playing NHL hockey, okay? I'm playing in the NHL. I know the surface of the ice. All of a sudden, uh, I make it to Team Canada, and I get to go play overseas in Europe where the ice is way bigger. My game changes a little bit. I'm not going to practice my power plays or whatever I'm doing in a smaller surface. we got a bigger surface, more ice to work with. There was what's called the floating red line. There were so many different changes. Well, if you're going to go to a state as a professional fighter to compete in a state that hasn't adopted the rules, that's what you trade for. You don't find out the day before. You don't find out at weigh-ins. You find out when you sign that contract. I don't get this. Oh, the fighters are confused. How the hell are they confused? Hey, I'm with you, man. I, I, hey, I was surprised when John Jones threw those downward elbows for like a couple years John Jones was, like, headbutting people in the body and, like, doing things. I'm like, how don't you know the rules, man? And I explained this on our last podcast. They used to fit on a, Wiki- a single Wikipedia screen. It's, it's gotten a little more elaborate since then, but 
the rules are not that hard for MMA, and they used to be even simpler, but if you followed as long as an Eddie Alvarez has, then you've you've known these rules as they come along. It's now, hey, if you're just jumping into the sport, if you're not a Joe Rogan, you're not a uh, a John Anik, you're not an Eddie Alvarez who are explaining or performing the actions. That that's fine. It you know I still learn. I, I'm a huge football fan, and I still learn a little bit about the intricacies of the rules there. But you're talking about two people in a cage, not a couple dozen people on a field. It's not that hard. You know, I, I see some of the comments uh, on the live chat now, Sean, and, and I see people saying, "Well, you know, the, the guy was half knocked out. That's what he does for a living. That's what he does for a living, mm-hmm. and he should know the rules." The rules are simple. You get, whether you're not, it's a sport where you're going to get knocked out. If I got again hockey analogy, if I got body checked in hockey really, really hard, and I go after the guy and start swinging my stick at his head, getting like, hit in me. the face prior and or not paying attention doesn't absolve you from any blame of committing the foul. That's the thing where Herb Bean was like, "Well, he couldn't have possibly seen." Well, whose fault is that? Is that that's not Dustin Poirier's fault? That's Eddie Alvarez's fault for not paying attention. You know, on Madden and the NBA games, they have that awareness stat. <laughs> this this is an awareness stat. I, now, I don't get now, it. I, okay, um, I can buy the argument that that Eddie was rocked because he was rocked. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it, there are still rules. You have to follow the rules whether you're rocked or not. You break the rules, you get disqualified. Or you get a warning, point taken away, or you get disqualified. Very, very simple. Okay? That was another option Herb Dean could have did. He could have stopped it, t- t- taken away a point. Poirier can continue. You can go to the scorecards if you need to, or you disqualify Eddie Alvarez. You, you, the, the, there were some options there for him. Okay, um, in, in terms of Dustin Poirier, you made a good point, Sean. If I'm if I'm uh, if I'm in that position, I know I'm not getting need. There's no way I'm getting need because in this is I'm, I'm protected by the rules. Here I'm protected by the rules. If I'm on my back, that my opponent takes me down, or we're in a scramble, I end up on my back, and he gets side control, or he gets he's trying to transition to a north south position. I'm a hundred percent confident I am not getting need to the skull. I'm not getting knee to the skull. Not from there. You can't knee me from there. All of a sudden, these knees start coming down on me. I am not defending myself because I had no idea these are coming down. I'm not fighting in Japan. I'm not fighting in Pride where these are allowed. I'm fighting in North America in a cage. I'm not expecting to get knee to the skull where my, my, my neck can compress or my head can compress into my shoulders, compressing my neck, causing a lot of damage. Okay? If that happens, hey, man, those are the rules. Whether you're, you're half knocked out or not, illegal disqualification because a fighter who is betraying mixed martial arts and the unified rules of MMA is not prepared to be hit in that manner. Simple. Imagine if like you could just get away with something. What if Conor McGregor said, well, my sunglasses were on. I couldn't really tell who I was throwing that can of monster energy at. I thought I was throwing it in a trash can. (laughs) Would they have bought that? Nope. Eddie Alvarez knew what he was doing. And if he didn't know what he was doing in the first knee, he sure as hell knew what he was doing the second knee where there was no mistaking that Poirier was down because he dropped. Unforgivable. <laughs> well, uh, okay, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. Uh, and, and, and listen, Eddie Alvarez, 
uh, for those that don't know, class dude, just a great guy mm-hmm. in that moment. You know, I, I have a theory in my life. You never judge somebody by their behavior. You judge them by their personality. You talk to them about their behavior. You got a problem with their personality. They're out of your life. Eddie, be- er, Eddie behavior. <laughs> Eddie Alvarez made a mistake. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I want that to know. I think Dustin Poirier did a fantastic job telling the crowd to just chill. Don't boo this guy. He's a former champ. Uh, good guy. Well, now you, you know? have a Fox or an FS1 main event this Bingo. fall if you want it. Bingo. I love it. I love it. So uh, did, I'm trying to remember at the post-fight press conference. Did Dana White say, yeah, they're going to put it back on? I, I don't know. And it's so funny the way that Poirier acted afterwards. And now he's like, I want my money and I want a rematch. I'm like, well, the, the best time to state your case for that is to state it in the cage with millions of people watching. Not in an interview where thousands will read it. <laughs> And that's what I've said to a lot of fighters many, many times. Not just that situation with Dustin Poirier in general. Uh, there's a fighter competing uh, this weekend for another organization that used to compete in the UFC that happens to be Canadian. What say you there, Alex Trebek? S- sorry, what was that? I was a little confused there. There is a fighter competing this weekend who used to be in the UFC, now competes for another organization, is Rory. Canadian. I spoke to this gentleman on numerous occasions about the importance of the various levels of media interaction and the importance of when to take advantage of certain times. There is no better time than when Joe Rogan is interviewing post-fight, yeah. number one, because everybody is watching at that point. Number two, get it out of the post-fight press conference because the post-fight press conference may not have as many viewers as the UFC is live, but all the media are there. So now whatever you say or do will get out to a variety of streams of media. Number three was the TV show that you're on with me across the country that got picked up on some outlets south of the border or not south of the border uh, online. So there's power in media. Know when to use it. That microphone, Joe Rogan, is the most important time to get your message across. Okay? Uh, And I would always think clearly you, you don't have much time. You've got, what, 15 seconds, 10 seconds per answer if you're lucky, okay? Opportune time if you're a fighter to get your, your, your voice out there, okay? Conor McGregor took advantage of it. Conor McGregor takes advantage of any time a camera or microphone's in his face. A lot of these fighters don't. So you got a guy like Dustin Poirier, like you said, that was when he should have did it. Now, I can flip the argument and say, well, I, he was a bit rocked. Took a couple of knees to the face. Uh, wasn't exactly uh, thinking coherently. Was in a fight. I get that. Wasn't thinking straight enough to speak. Um, but yeah, you're right. That was the opportune time for him to make that statement. Afterwards now, maybe not so much. Yeah, you got you to gotta do it too. And also, I want people to stop calling out Conor McGregor all the time unless you have a legitimate claim. Stop. Especially when you're there with Conor McGregor. Because as we found out, he does not care to end your career with a couple of words. He'll do that. Stay in your lane, but ha- ha- but have have ambitious but realistic goals. The thing is, Rory, I haven't seen a lot of media from this, like out of this this show, and it's it's basically a one fight show now because because MVP fell off. That sucks. Uh, but I mean, Chet Congo versus Sakai, I think, will be pretty good. Are you really surprised? Mm mm. But here's the you know? thing. I usually always get a thing from Bellator saying, hey, these guys are available for media interviews, and I didn't get one last week. 
I'm like, well, okay. And I'm not seeing anything from anybody else this week, having talked to these people. So I'm like, damn, I wasn't the only one. You got McGeary and Linton Vassell. I can tell you from experience, McGeary can be a, a tough one to conjure some answers out of, to conjure a response or a quote out of. And I'm not one of those guys that says, talk about this. Talk about that. You frame it in a question, you, you hopefully get an answer. It's a bummer because Rory was a big signing for them, and it's a fart in the wind right now. It's it's crazy, man. There, it's there crazy. Are, we've got Unless, a loaded weekend at, at Fightful. We've got Invicta, no buzz. Bellator, no buzz, but the show is a decent-looking show. Kimbo Slice Jr. is on the show. Uh, Baby Slice, whatever the hell you Baby want to Slice. call him, who was Baby a Slice, fantastic yep. interview, by the way, an incredible interview. A way so better was his inter- dad. Uh, hey, he's even a better interview than his dad, and that's saying a lot. That's Man, saying a lot. Sean, when I first interviewed Kimbo Slice, UFC Fan Expo, I think it was their first Fan Expo, when he was part of that Ultimate Fighter cast, um, the UFC had uh, obviously the biggest player, uh, that's a given, um, like just for the UFC and stuff like that. We had to go up the stairs, and they had this like VIP thing on the top where you could oversee all the way around the expo. Uh, and I got, I think it was Schaller or someone says, "Hey, man, Kimball Slice, you want him?" Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm sitting there, and we were talking. Me and my associate producer, and we're like, "Okay," or my at the time was the executive producer. Uh, he's like, "Dude, are you ready for Kimball? Like, we don't know what to go with here." I said, "Dude, he's, he's, he's a man. He's a regular human being. Just because you saw those videos on YouTube, he's still a regular dude. He's not going to fight me." Because I'm asking him questions. I can guarantee you that. I don't think he's a douche. And I remember going up there and he was just like, I know you. And he came, he shook my hand and (laughs) we're talking. And I said, yeah. He goes, goes, aren't we supposed to be doing an interview? I'm like, whenever you're ready, man. Right? And the UFC is like, dude, you only got two questions. And Kimbo's like, no, 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 no. Give the man his due. Guy puts in a lot of hard work. And I'm like, I like this guy. I like this guy. We literally sat down and the interview I had with him. Sean and everyone watching and listening in right now was one of the best I've ever had. Uh, I mean, Nick and Nate Diaz are some of the best guys I've ever interviewed ever. But this guy here, I saw a side of Kimball Slice and got information before and after that interview that blew my mind away. Absolutely blew my mind away because what you see on YouTube or what you saw on YouTube and what you saw on the show and what you saw on everything else, the different guy, completely different oh, yeah. guy. Very humble, very Great humble, dude. just... Yeah, it was a great guy, and so I see where Baby Slice gets it from. Yeah, and to be honest, he he didn't make many mistakes that somebody in their first pro fight wouldn't make who had one amateur fight. He, he looked fine. You you learn, you grow. He, I think he's a more skilled fighter than his dad was already. Now he doesn't have the, the big power and all that stuff, but I think he's going to be just fine. If he decides to stick with this as a career, he's going to be just fine, and he is... He's a very smart dude. Very, very smart. So I was surprised uh, Bellator didn't really make much of an effort this time. And we're seeing the same thing with NXT and Backlash this weekend on WWE. We got four events we're covering this weekend, including New Japan coverage. Super early tomorrow morning, guys, for wrestling fans. But we've got Bellator 179 Friday. We have NXT TakeOver and Invicta on Saturday. WWE Backlash on Sunday. Not a lot of buzz. You got to create a buzz. You got to do something. Make people think I got to tune into this. You just—I just feel like I should have recorded all that stuff I did with uh, Jim Ross and Chael Sonnen when we did that Battleground show. That's what he talked about, man. Make some noise. 
Now, if I could do that Oklahoma accent, I would do it, but I can't. The way he said, the way he told the one fighter, I'm trying to remember who it was, uh, it puts cheese on your Whopper. I was like, oh, wow. Me and Chael looked at each other and were like, okay, it's the greatest thing we ever heard. You know, he just sat there and literally, you know, you know, Jim Ross is Jim Ross. He's a larger than life personality, as humble as he is. I don't remember if he had the hat on or not, but he just kind of did one of these, Sean. He took his, you know, just leaned over onto the table and just looked the fighter in the eye and just began to preach. And me and Chael were just kind of like, looking, kind of like we're, we're listening, right? It's Jim Ross talking, but we're looking at it. Like you knew you were in a moment. Right, yeah. and this young kid is basically being educated by a guy that, if I'm not mistaken, brought us Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Ric Flair, uh, arguably one of the biggest names to, to just find these people. If I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong if I'm there. But he began and just to just preach to this kid, and it makes him noise, son. Well, he, he didn't necessarily to- find them. He found. Brock Lesnar and Batista and Shelton Benjamin and Randy Orton and a lot of those guys. That was more his era. But when he talks, you listen. He's got the driest. Oh. He's got the driest sense of humor too. It's it's. Oh, I was great. just. Fat, but the way he explained it to these guys and the kids were just, or the kids, the fighters were just kind of like, like an awestruck. Yeah. And then he finally says, "It's what puts cheese. You got to make some noise, and it's what puts cheese on your Whopper." You like your Whoppers with cheese? <laughs> We're just Jail and I are like, this is the greatest ever. This is the greatest thing ever. Uh, and another cool thing about that battleground show was, you know, how much more? I don't. I mean, I've been to Oklahoma, but how much more Oklahoma or awesome could it be in Oklahoma to be in a pickup truck, in a pickup truck with Jim Ross, with Jim Ross telling you WWE stories? Oh yeah. Like just, I mean, I heard stuff about Ric Flair that I I would never repeat uh, to anyone listening right now, uh, unless you're a male over the age of like 25. <laughs> it's just like Ric Flair was the man with the ladies. I'm not saying anything else. How about the balls on GSP, by the way, saying that I don't get it, man. He's, he's not that interested in fighting Anderson Silva. Your boy. Don't put me on the spot, man. Don't put me on the spot. What's up don't, with that? That's weird. Don't put me on the spot. Yeah, he's uh I should find out more from George, shouldn't I? Just yeah. see what's going on here. I will uh, endeavor to see what's going on. What else, man? What else do you want to talk about? I know I I know that uh, GSP's got some balls on him for that one. How about that? It doesn't make you happy, I can tell. No, I think it's going to be 4 years by the time he fights. He was gifted a title shot. A weight division he's never competed in. Uh, mm. Do you think of the conspiracy theory that this is his way of getting back at the UFC or getting back at Dana White for screwing him a few different times and talking shit about him after the Johnny Hendricks fight and stuff like that? I don't think he's that malicious. Neither do I. But you never know. Right? Like it's just it doesn't make sense to me for him to say, you know, because him and I spoke off the record. You know, we spoke and we talked and it's like he wanted that Bisping fight. He was ready for that Bisping fight in December. He wanted to fight Bisping in December. He showed up at the Gentleman's Expo in November, still in shape because it's, it's not too late. I wanted it in Toronto. It could still happen. Uh, and then, you know, he showed up to the press conference, did whatever he had to do. But there's something else going on, man. I'd like to find It'll out. He'll be 36 in a couple days and... Uh, I would. That fight would probably sell a million pay per views. He and Anderson Silva. Yeah, I think because everybody sells a million. From a Canadian perspective, everybody that no longer watches the UFC would get wind of that. That's in Canada. That's the Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather fight. 
right? Yeah. That's what it is in Canada. That's exactly what it is. So everybody would come out of the woodworks and all of a sudden become UFC fans again. So yeah, I, you're right. I think so. That'd be a huge, huge buy. Did you see that Lorenzo Fertitta like expressed his anger to Dana White <laughs> about the the Poirier cool. Alvarez finish? And yeah. and still, you can tell that even though I think the Fertitas own like a negligible percentage, still they they retain like a tiny, tiny bit. I think because they, I think they've always they always want to own a little bit of it. Dana White still takes very seriously what Lorenzo Fertitta says. Yeah, it's uh, th- that was always an interesting relationship, man. I, I, when Dana said that at the post-fight press conference, I thought it was pretty damn cool. Uh, only because uh, the very last show that we did, uh, the reason why I know this, I would never have remembered this, is I, I was editing some video uh, yesterday and I pulled up my very last show because I needed footage of me uh, at Sportsnet. And it's a video that I'm doing. Uh, and I just scanned through the footage and I'm like, oh my God, Lorenzo. That's when I sat down with Lorenzo. That's when I sat down with Dana. That was at the UFC head office. That was in Lorenzo's office. That was, the- And I was just kind of like, I remember vividly the relationship that Dana and, and Lorenzo had from day one when I first met them years and years and years ago, how it never really changed. They're completely different people. Lorenzo's that businessman, will walk into a meeting, suit and tie, blah, blah, blah. Dana's that brash guy, the figurehead person, uh, you know, hot headed. Uh, you know, Lorenzo, I've never seen him upset. I've never seen him hot headed. And if he ever got upset, it would be strategic. Uh, he reminded me of an agent that I used to have that used to represent me. Huge here uh, in Canada, I guess pretty big internationally, but his nickname was the Velvet Hammer. <laughs> the Velvet Hammer? Right? He's just – everything is just nice and smooth. Everything is cool. It's soft. But, man, when if that thing comes down, you're done. Yeah. You're screwed. Whoever's getting negotiated, uh, I, I, this, guy, this guy did a lot for me. He was so good. And when I, when I talked to one of the, uh, one of the big on-air personalities here on the sports stations who actually said, yeah, you need to sign with him, blah, blah, he's like, never forget the Velvet Hammer. And then when I told him after the negotiations what he did for me, he's like – I think that's the best way to to run or to negotiate to to be in any position of power because if if you're like that all the time people don't want to work for you they want to work with you but if if you're like that when when it comes down to it it shows people that you care enough about either what you're doing or who you're representing or or what you're trying to achieve I I think that's a very good way to go about it. I had a lot of people asking me, Joe, about the Yoana Yanjacek walking out of the presser thing. And one person saying, should Ariel Hawani have even asked that? Yeah, he should have. It's his job as a journalist to ask that. And she obviously didn't hold any ill will. She was on the MMA Hour uh, Monday. And she's, she's not she, – you know, she understands the media's role. She's very smart in that regard as well. Uh, more than a, a Tito Ortiz was, who would hold something over somebody for like ten years in that in that manner. So, I, mean, I don't see anything wrong with him asking. It was about one of her coaches leaving uh, American Top Team, and I'm sure you'll probably talk to a couple people about that this weekend. And we'll have I will. That, we'll have that next week. But it was a coach that was a big reason why she moved. And helped her with her wrestling. And she pointed at her last fight and said, did you see what happened in my last fight? That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, nothing wrong with Ariel asking that question at all. It was a legit question. Uh, I've never been always that guy that wanted some answers to every question. Uh, there were some questions I'm like, you know what? I'm not asking that. I don't have to ask that. Why? Because Ariel's right there. 
John Morgan's over there. Kevin Ioli's over there. They can ask that question. I know the questions that I want for my show that none of them need, that are probably going to be better than whatever they ask. So there was always a, a mutual respect amongst all of us uh, as to who was going to ask what question at what time. Uh, even if it was never spoken, Sean, you just knew. Leave that one for Damon Martin. Leave that one for John Morgan. That's an aerial one. This is what I'll take care of with Dana and blah, 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 blah. I'm taking right? them all. <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> Fightful so, for, 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 for life. That's it. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that question. But you get that reaction. I mean, I've had fighters cry in front of me before during interviews. Uh, you, know, you want a fighter to cry? Ask a question about their family. Ask a question about their kids. Ask a question about the suffering it takes to be a fighter when you're away from your kids as the kids are growing up. You watch that fighter get emotional. Uh, two light heavyweight, former light heavyweight champions broke down in front of me. Um, so it's not easy for some of the fighters to answer some of those questions. So Ariel asked, listen, just wanted to know what was going on. And it affected uh, Johanna. She walked off to the stage crying. And, you know, it, it is what it is. You have to ask those questions. You know, you, you don't mean to, to make the fighter emotional. But, you know, sometimes it happens. You talk about tear-inducing things. Uh, I almost cried when I saw Valerie Letourneau saying that she thought she was going to die during her last weight cut. Now uh, the California State Athletic Commission has passed a package of weight-cutting regulations, which just happened, like, I think as we went on the air. Oh, the weight, I got to read that. The weight division's like 165, 175, 195, 225 being added and encouraged. Dana White, it seemed like the UFC was on board, but Dana White says, well, we didn't say that. We didn't say all of that. Now, what that would do, Joe, is that would eliminate 170. You just wouldn't have that. You would have a division added there. You'd have 195 added and 225 added. To me, I don't care about a heavy, an extra division above light heavyweight. I really don't. I'm sure that there, there are a group of people because if you... For one, if you do institute that division, heavyweight will be a lot of fat, guys. It will be. Because a lot of those guys are going to drop to 225 and they'll fight there. And so not, not necessarily on board with that division. Maybe that's one they could adopt. 175, all four. 195, not totally against it because that 20-pound difference is a hell of a gap, Joe. Huge. 185 to 205 is massive. Rich Franklin's coming out of retirement. Vanley still will be in the UFC. Uh, Joe Sonnen. Uh, okay, sorry. Go ahead. There, there are a lot of guys that could do that. Rashad Evans ain't going to be fighting at 185 if that's the case. Yeah. I, I, I like these these weight divisions. I've always liked the 10-pound difference. Always have. I've brought it up before. Uh, you know, the, the wheels of the government, I was told, are always square. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Takes time. Now it's happening. You know, so in that document that you read or that story you read, I, I, I'm checking my inbox. I don't see anything in mine right now. Uh, clearly, you are much cooler than me. If the, the California, did California send you that? No, somebody else did. Okay, good, because I'm on the California list, so <laughs> I don't know how you got it, but uh, I'm sure I'll get something later on. But uh, sorry, you said it was more weight division related. Anything else? I haven't got the chance to read it all. I've been on this show, but uh, holy smokes, come on! But, man. but the UFC, Bellator, and Invicta all did support the decision, apparently. Okay, and wrote right. letters supporting it. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, uh, here's, that here's some more information. Uh, actually, I just found an article that Mark Ramondi wrote about it. He is fantastic with commission-related stuff. 
So uh, this gives me a little more information than the email I got. Under the 10-point plan, fighters who miss weight will be fined 20% of all bonuses, including win bonuses. The full bonus fine will go to the opponent who made weight. The 20% fine of the show money, uh, half to the opponent, half to the commission, will remain. Repeat weight miss offenders will be recommended to go up to the next weight uh, class. A fight day weight check will be implemented to see how much uh, fighters gain back between the weigh-ins and the fight. If a fighter gains back more than 10% of their body weight, uh, the fighter will be recommended to move up to the weight class for his or her next bout. Changes are happening. I think that is phenomenal. I think that's good because you won't have fights pulled the next day. They'll just say, hey, next time you need to move up. And it'll be recommended. It won't be mandated. It'll be recommended. Good stuff. Also, I, I encourage you guys because I haven't, I haven't been off of the podcast to assign it, but... Yeah, um, uh, the, he does some great work about commission-related stuff. Mark Ramondi, he's one of the best in the business at that. But changes are coming, and it, it is good. I like it. These are good changes. These are very good changes. I agree with them. I like them. Uh, I don't know about the 20% corner of the commission uh, for administrative yeah. purposes, but uh, we'll see if Trig defends that. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Because he's licensed. He's a ref under yeah. California. He's going to defend it. Yeah, he probably will. On camera, he'll defend it. That I'll see if I can get him. That yeah. schmoozer. Oh, he's the king of schmoozing. Trig is the king that of guy. schmoozing. People say, I've got a gregarious personality. Nah. He walks into a room and it's like, I'm on my own, bro. I'll, yeah, I'll catch up with you in an hour. See you in a bit. Adam Ball has a good question. What happens if they adopt a weight class and abolish another? Does the champion just lose his spot or because he does he become champion of that new division? What I would do... Because 170 is the one that's going to go. I would say, Tyron Woodley, you can carry your belt to the cage for your next fight. Your next fight will either be at 165 or 175, your choice, and it is a championship fight. That's a simple, simple way to do it. You have your choice because you achieved that, that peak, that pinnacle. And because of that, we're rewarding you with this. I understand if it's an issue. Throw them a little extra money. Do the right thing. But 165 and 175 are absolutely... Well, that right now, that'd be perfect for him because Damian Maya fought at 185. Tyron's a big dude. He gets to save five pounds uh, during that weight cut. Damian Maya would be more than happy to fight at 175. Oh, yeah. Perfect and I'm looking, I'm looking... Lightweight has 90 fighters... Welterweight has 90 fighters. Middleweight has 52. Light heavyweight has 43. So that 195 is going to really dilute something. The 175 is going to help dilute. Middleweight's going to take a hit. It's going to take a big hit because it's going to have people going up and people going down. 170, I don't think, will be affected that much. I mean, you'll have a lot of 155 and 170s going down, but there's so many of them. But uh, there's 52 middleweights, 90 welterweights, so that not as big of a hit there. But I'm I hope it goes through, and I hope they institute the divisions. Uh, you know what? About five years ago, I would have said no, no, too many divisions, too many divisions. Nah, I'm good. If you're going to run this many cards, you could stand to have a couple more divisions, as long as it doesn't become every five pounds. That's that's where I draw the line. That's boxing. No thanks. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're getting the craziness. No, I like 10 pounds, man. 10 pounds to me has always been perfectly fine. Let's wrap this up, Joe. This, this, this has went smoothly. 
We've given the people a supersized show, as we will be uh, every week here on Wednesdays in the future. I want to tell everybody, register at Fightful.com. I do uh, members-only podcasts on occasion. And uh, we have our forums up and running. Wrestling, MMA, boxing, TV, movies, video games, action figures. We want you to uh, make the forums like a home away from home for everything. Everybody watching this show, head over to Fightful.com. Start a new topic right now. If you don't, if you don't, I'm going to say mean things about your mothers. And I'm going <laughs> to do it. They're going to do it by where I'm going to do it wearing the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen at a press conference. How about that one? <laughs> also, visit Fightful.com. I know a lot of you just come and check out the podcast. Visit Fightful.com. Let, let people know about Fightful.com. Um, Joe always encourages you to let one person know. I It helps a lot if you all say, hey, we heard this on the Fightful podcast. We heard this. Because all the time, me and Joe are dropping news on here that hasn't been released, and I do that on the, the wrestling side as well. Yeah, it's, listen, it's been, uh, it's been synonymous with my career. didn't matter where I was, where I worked. Uh, I would drop certain nuggets, and, or I would say certain things, uh, and lo and behold, a week or two later, it would show up on other sites or on other TV shows uh, or... Well, you're going to start breaking that shit right here. All That's the it. Time. Yeah, I got lots of stories, and I talked to a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, the Fightful uh, podcast, the Holy Smokes podcast Guilty now. is charged with yeah. the stories. Yeah, oh, I've got lots. I, got, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of the amount of stuff that I've seen done, uh, gotten in trouble with, and just – it is what it is. I look at some of the guys that have been doing, uh, you know, other sports for fifty years, and I'm like, you can start in your twenties, your seventy right now. I can just imagine. Oh yeah, this one time in Las Vegas, and I'm like, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. You got my attention. So yeah, I feel like I'm getting there. I'm halfway there, I guess. So Adam I'll Ball get. says Trig is awesome. I definitely missed that show. We will have segments from Trig moving forward on the show. He's in the Philippines right now. So leave us a thumbs up, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. That stuff helps too. Uh, turn on your notifications. I didn't used to encourage you guys to do that because we had so many podcasts that that could get a little annoying every uh, twice a day, a notification going off, but uh, it's much more manageable now. So check us out. Yeah, guys, don't forget and make sure you follow Sean Ross app at Sean Ross app uh, and yours truly at showdown Joe uh, on social media. Uh, I will be leaving for Florida tomorrow. Uh, Titan FC 44. I got my notes uh, halfway done, Sean. So I'm excited, but Titan FC 44, I will be calling the show play by play alongside Kamar Usman, the best welterweight, best grappler in the welterweight division. I believe he calls himself. Uh, so yeah, Kamaru recently had a birthday. Uh, I want to get his thoughts on the whole Damian Maya thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Kamara Usman, myself, we're hosting Titan FC 44 on Fight Pass this Friday. Make sure you tune in. I'll give you lots of updates uh, while I'm in Florida. So make sure you guys do follow me on social media. Um, you know, I have a goal for the show here to get at least one hour at the pool. For the very first time I've worked for Titan to get one hour, just one hour Listen, at the pool. You want to get tan like this. You yeah. can't see how tan I am. As soon as that sun beams down, boy, I get dark. It's wonderful. It's a horrible human being. It's wonderful. If any of you are in the uh, northern Kentucky area, I'll be at NXT uh, Thursday night. Me and my wife are going to go check out the NXT show in Highland Heights. Come say hi to me. That's a wrap, my friend. You can close it off. Go ahead. Guys, until next time, we're out. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.